You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. So this is the uh, first official Sunday of summer. And, uh, right, so we can't call it the dog days of summer yet. But uh, anyway, we're in summer school this summer in the School of Faith in Hebrews 11. And this morning our, our instructor continues to be Abraham. Um, Genesis 12 through 25 covers 100 years of Abraham's life. And so it gives us a unique perspective to be able to see how his faith develops over those 100 years and, and also to see how our journey of faith goes in, in a similar way. When Abraham starts out with God at around age 75, his faith is very tiny. And by the time he's finished, he's called the friend of God. And he's, he's, his example of faith is used more often than anybody else in the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so we're seeing how Ab- God grows Abraham's faith. And we've seen that Abraham can, life can be seen in terms of three great tests. The, the test of Lot, the test of Ishmael, and the test of Isaac. Each test is about Abram's great desire to have a son. And God doesn't give him that desire right away, and he doesn't take that desire away, but he uses that desire as a, as a wedge, as a tool to teach Abraham to trust him rather than trust himself. Um, last week, we looked at the first test, the test of Lot, which is the first test of faith that we face as our faith grows. That is the, the test of leaving, leaving the familiar because we believe God's promises. God appears to Abraham and he says, if you'll leave your country and leave your father's house and leave your relatives and go to the land that I'll show you, I'll make your name great, I'll bless you, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who will curse you, Um, I will make you a great nation and in you every family of the earth will be blessed. And so this is the second big event in, in the story of the Bible leading to Jesus. God begins, takes another step in fulfilling the promise he made back in the Garden of Eden that he would send a human savior to undo the damage that Adam and Eve did to us and to creation. And now this is the beginning of the nation of Israel from which the savior of the world will come, which is why God promises Abram and you in one of your descendants, all people will be blessed. Well, it takes, if you remember, it takes Abram two chapters before he obeys God. Uh, first of all, it takes as long as dad, uh, and that doesn't work out well. And then his dad dies, so he, he takes along his nephew Lot and his wife, and they, they go to Canaan. And, and the reason Abram takes Lot along is just in case God doesn't come through. Abram wants a son. He wants someone to carry on the family name. His, his wife has never been able to have children. They're, they're uh, 75 and 65, and the, the odds don't look real good. And so God promised to give him a son, give him a descendant, but just in case God doesn't come through, we've got Lot. And uh, we all have lots, right? We all have things we brought in from our background, from our past, just in case God doesn't come through. And one of the big tests of faith is learning how to give up lot and trust God wholly. But that's only the first test of faith. 
And, and a lot of us have learned to trust God rather than our past. But we just want to tell God how and when to do what he said he'll do, right? We, we want to take charge of the timing here. And that's the test of Ishmael. Let's look at Hebrews 11 here. This is the quote we looked at last week. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. We talked about that last week. The whole thing of leaving Ur, going to Canaan. But there's another aspect of faith. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Even though Abram was in the land God promised to give him, he lived his whole life there as a foreigner. It, it didn't belong to him yet. It was going to belong to his people generations later. But Abram was waiting for that to happen. And he had to wait for a son for a long time too. And, and so that, that test of waiting, that test of will you keep trusting God to do what he promised to do for you even though he's not doing it now? Somebody said that, that God seldom comes through when we expect him to, but he's never late. And, and really, that's the test of Ishmael and what we're going to look at this morning, the test of waiting on God and trusting God's timing. So let's pray, and we'll jump into this. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of, of putting us in a family, a family of faith, and, and uh, enabling us to get together and hear about you and talk about you and hear from your Spirit. We pray you'll be the one that teaches us from the Scriptures. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the story of Ishmael begins 10 years after Abraham and Lot have separated from one another. So, 10 years have gone by since last week. And um, Abraham is now 85. His biological clock is ticking slower and slower and slower. And if, if they don't get busy here, um, this sun is never going to happen. You get the picture? You know, they've been waiting for a son all their lives, and it, nothing's happening about it. And, and I want to look at three things today. I want to look at, at how Abram and Sarai, which is their names at this point in the story, how Abram and Sarai try to help matters along, kind of push God's plan along a little bit, and the consequences of that, and then talk about how do you know when God is calling you to wait. That's where we're going. Okay, so let's, let's read it and see what happens here. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Remember, they spent time down in Egypt. And while they were down in Egypt, they got a lot more flocks and herds and riches and servants. And apparently, Hagar was one of the servants who returned to Canaan with Abraham or Abram and Sarai. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid, Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, when you first read this, you think, what are you thinking? She's, she's pushing her husband into another woman's bed. But we need to understand the culture. We, we know from earlier that Sarai is a beautiful woman, but she is a barren woman. And in that particular culture, a woman's identity was her family. And so if a woman wasn't able to have children, it was a great disgrace to her. 
Sarah has been trying to have a child for years and has been prevented. So she says, we've got to go to plan B. And so it was customary then to, to take a servant or a slave and get a child through them. Slaves were his property. And if your slave had a child, that slave, that child belonged to you. So Sarai's plan here is to, if, if God won't give us a son one way, well, we'll help him fulfill his promise to give us a son another way. See, that's the idea. So this is, and Abram, you kind of get the idea that Abram is kind of clueless here. Okay. You know, just, uh, he just, he listens. He says, okay, that's a good idea. Let's do that. That's the plan. Okay. There, you know, and, and we've all been there, haven't we? We know God has promised to do something. God has promised to give us something, but we haven't seen it yet. And so the temptation is, let's get the show on the road here. Let's, let's push it ahead a little bit. Let's, let's make it happen. And it, rather than trusting in God's timing. We'll talk in a little bit about how you tell the difference between when to move and when not to move. Let's see the consequences of helping God out. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Let's go to the next one. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. What did Sarai want? She wanted an end to her disgrace, didn't she? That's what she wanted. What did she get? Disgrace. Because when Hagar gets pregnant, she gets all uppity, and she says, well, I guess we know who the real woman of the house is here, Right? And, and it just infuriates Sarai. What did, what did Abram want? Well, he wants a son, but more than that, he wants to keep his wife happy. He wants what every husband wants. What does he get? And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. She gets mad at Abram. She blames him. You have really, she's really self-righteous about it. May God judge you for the wrong you have done. But baby, I just did what, don't you baby me, you two-time jerk. You know. <laughs> so we've got an unhappy wife. And we've got an unhappy husband, because that's what happens, because you can push God's plan ahead. There are just always unintended consequences. Does that make sense? And let's look at some more of the unintended consequences, because there's two chapters of them. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly. And she fled from her presence. Good to see Abram being the head of his home there. Now, the angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring of the, on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. 
The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, which means God hears, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Don't you love that, Mom? Your kid is going to be a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahol. You can read it. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Berea. It means the well of, of, the, of the one who sees. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called it his name of his son, whom Hagar born Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael to him. As you probably know, Ishmael becomes the father of the Ishmaelites who migrate from Egypt eventually into Iraq and become the forefathers of the Arab peoples. And that's why Arab people call Abraham their father, just as Jewish people called Abraham their father. They through Ishmael, the Jews through Isaac. And so you look at, at the thousands of years of conflict in the Middle East between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac up to the present day. And you see some unintended consequences that can occur because Abram and Sarai were unwilling to wait on God but wanted to push the plan ahead. Does that make sense? But there's even more consequences. Let's go to the next chapter. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, so this is 14 years later. So Ishmael is how old? Mathematicians? 14, yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> when he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, which is kind of an ironic name for a guy who doesn't have a son, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of multitudes. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, as for... Where I, we, it just disappeared on me here. Okay. I will establish my covenant between you and your descendants after you throughout all gener their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And so God basically confirms the promise he made way back in Genesis 12. You're going to have descendants. You're going to have children. In fact, they're going to become a huge nation, and that nation will dwell 
on this land as their home that you're just kind of here as an alien. So God is confirming all these things to him, and he changes Abram's name from, from exalted father to father of multitudes. And then he says, then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, she shall not, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. That, that means princess. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people. Why they call her princess. Kings of people will come from her. Now, put yourself in the context here. Abram has been waiting for almost 25 years for God to keep the promise he made back in Ur when God called him. And now, 25 years later, God is saying, what you've been waiting for is about to happen. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. You and Sarah are going to have a son. What would be your reaction? What would be your reaction? Will be, right? I mean, you'd be so excited. I, oh, good to wait on God. Just uh, God's been so faithful to me, and now God's doing it. Oh, this is great. But I want you to notice Abraham's reaction, because it's not what we expect. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? First of all, the humor of the situation hits him. He just falls to the ground laughing. Just the, the thought of a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman would have a kid at all. It's just beyond him. But I want you to notice his next reaction. And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a son? And Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now think about what's he asking God here for? He's saying, God, I don't need a son. I've got a son. His name is Ishmael. Let him be the the child of the promise. Let your covenant be with him. We don't need another kid. We got a kid. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I'll bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. God waits until it's impossible for Abram to father a son. And, and Sarah has never been able to have children. He waits until nobody can do anything. They're helpless. And he says, okay, now I'm going to give you a kid. So you will know who it came from. That's the idea here. And it should be the happiest moment of Abraham's life. But it's not. And the reason is, is because when we run ahead of God and create our own plan and, and our own our own answer to the prayer, when the real answer to prayer comes, it looks like a threat more than a blessing. That that little project that we put together for ourselves looks like we're going to lose it because and so we, can't, we just can't enjoy yet what God is giving us. Does that make sense? And that's, that's just another consequence of running ahead of God. We run ahead of God and we mess all kinds of things up. I told you last week um, 
about one of my lots, a relationship I had from the time I was a non-believer all the way into a, as a Christian, and God made it very clear that, this, that we were not for each other. And finally, and I told you all that story. I won't rehash that. But it would be years before Lori and I met, and, and during those single years, there were a couple of times that I, I thought I might have found Mrs. Wright. And rather than asking God, I just kind of plunged ahead on feelings and hormones and only to find out that wonderful gal, but not for you, buddy. And so after doing that, getting my hands burned a couple of times, feeling like a real heel and, and a jerk, for, I decided I am not making any moves again until God clearly says, she's the one. And, and so I played things really close to my vest and, and just didn't let women get close to me at all because I didn't want to give the wrong impression. And because I'd burned my fingers, because I'd hurried too much, I really was hard for me to recognize when God brought Lori along. It was, it was obvious that he, he was in it, stuff like that. But I was so gun-shy because I'd made so many false moves. You see what I'm saying? There are always unintended consequences when we don't wait on God. And if look at the Arabs and the Jews. They, they can last a long time. And that brings us to the last question I want to talk to you, just real practically. How do you identify your Ishmaels? How do you see when God is calling you to wait? Before we started Creekside, I worked as the, uh, the pastor of discipleship at First Covenant Church in, in Oakland. And uh, one of my responsibilities there was to supervise a, a pretty wide-ranging network of community groups. And uh, we had groups all over Alameda County, and I began to think about, well, what are we going to do next? Where, where do we go from here? And I thought, maybe we should, these, some of these people are having to drive a long way to get to, to Oakland every, every Sunday. Maybe we should think about starting a church. And, and I didn't know anything about church planning, and church planning wasn't a, a thing then. And so I found a, remember those old audio courses you could get, you know, with the little cassette tapes? And so I got a, an audio course on church planning. And I think it was the first one anybody ever made. And, uh, and, and as I listened to this, though, I just, ah, oh, for the first time, I thought, wow, this is, these guys are just like me. And, and began to see how in, tied in the Bible planting new churches is to the spread of the gospel. And I began to, God began to speak to my heart. And I began to realize that, that maybe God was calling me not to supervise or encourage, but to actually plant a church. So I went to my boss, Randy Roth, who was the senior pastor there. And, and you know, it's pretty threatening for a, a senior pastor to have one of his staff come and say, I want to start a church. But Randy was great about it. He just was very generous. And he said, he said uh, we're just going to have to work through all the channels. So what I want you to do is I want you to put together a plan that I can submit to the board to get their approval. And I said, okay. So I spent several months researching doing all this work on demographics and parts of, of the East Bay to plant in and what our plan was. Finally got this fairly elaborate plan put together and took it to Randy, and he liked it, and he took it to the board. And the good news was they really liked the plan. The bad news was they thought, we ought to have a plan too. We ought to have a five-year plan for our church, and then we can see if this plan fits into our five-year plan and so we were put on, on hold. 
And uh, First Covenant at that time was uh, well over 100 years old. And the thing about 100-year-old women, it's hard for them to have babies. And uh, there, were, there were so many boards and so many committees. And, and so them putting together a five-year plan was like molasses. It was taking forever. And I had a little group of, of couples that we had been meeting on Sunday nights to talk about planning a church and what kind of church it would be. And they're ready to rock and roll. And, and I remember one of the guys says to me, he says, are you going to obey God or men? You know, putting it out there. And he says, you know, if God's called you to plant a church, let's go plant the church and, and heck with this church because they're holding us back. So the question is, should we wait or should, or should we go? That's the question. Well, that's the question. I, uh, how do we know when to wait and when to move out in faith? Well, first sign is, um, do I have this up here? I did. Yeah, you're not getting what God promised. Now, it's not that you're not getting what you want, because we all have lots of stuff we want. Isn't that true? I mean, we are a, an inexhaustible well of wants. And want, one want gets met, and then we have another one we want. And, and aren't you glad that God hasn't given you a lot of the stuff you wanted, because your life would have been ruined? But this is saying, if you know this is something God has given you to do. And so, Abraham and, and, and Sarah, they knew God had promised to give them a son. So they are waiting for something they know God has promised to do. And we were convinced after a year of prayer and study and, and investigation that we, God wanted us to, to plant a new church. And so that's number one. You're, what you want isn't happening. God, you know, God can always answer it one in three ways. He can say yes, he can say no. Often he just says, wait, wait. Okay, so that's, so that's one. How do I know I'm supposed to wait? Well, what I want isn't happening. Okay, that's an easy one. Now, here's the second thing. You're doing all you know to do. Waiting is not being passive. Sarah says, God has prevented me from bearing children. How does she know that? Because she's done everything she could to have a child, right? Being faith-filled is not being passive. It's not sitting back and saying, well, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen, right? No, Jesus said, keep asking, and it'll be granted. Keep seeking, and you'll find. Keep knocking, and the door will be open. It takes effort on your part. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for as God has worked within you, both the work and the will, his good pleasure. Faith is active. It is acting as if I believe that God is going to answer this request, and I'm doing everything I can on my end, so I'm ready for God to to work. So we had to ask, the second question is, have I done everything I need to do? Because a lot of times things aren't happening, not because God isn't opening the door or leading, it's just because he's waiting for us to take a, a step of faith. That new career is not going to fall out of the sky. Uh, you've got you've to work, you've got to search, you've got to do some investigation. That Mr. Wright or, Mr., uh, or Mrs. Wright isn't going to one day show up at the front door and say, hi, Mrs. Wright, God sent me. Um, it doesn't work that way. You've, you've got to be around Christian singles with character and faith, the kind of person you'd want to have a long-term commitment with. You've got to meet those people. That's the only way it happens. 
whatever it is, you've got to do part because God responds to faith. And, and so we thought, have we done everything to plant this church? Yeah, we checked every box. We, had, we did the plan. We, did, we, we got a team ready. We investigated the area. We'd, we'd done everything we could think of to do, but it still wasn't happening. Still wasn't happening. And that brings us to the third question. Doing more, our point is doing more would violate God's commands. That's where Abraham and Sarah fell. I mean, the fact that, that uh, the Hagar plan involved adultery, child stealing, misuse of the authority you have over a person, abuse, didn't even cross their minds. We'll get a baby. What, why wouldn't this be God's will? God's commands never contradict each other. And if I have to disobey one command in order to fulfill another command, something's wrong. Because the, the end never justifies the means. So what you have to ask is, to, to push this thing along, does it require me to break God's clear commands. And for us, uh, with, with First Covenant, it would have. We, we would have hurt a lot of feelings. And we might have divided the church. And we would have left there with a bad taste. In they weren't saying, don't plant a church. They were just slow. They, they, were just, they couldn't get their ducks in a row fast enough. And so we, we hung in there. And we're patient. It took two years two years from the time that I made the proposal till they finally said, we're all in. But let me tell you what happened. We didn't come to San Leandro with a little group of eight couples to start a church. We had over 100 people come because over that time, people had, had gotten the vision, and as a result, our church was self-supporting from day one. We had, we had so much. I mean, God, God wasn't idle. God knew what he was doing. But the point was it was a test of faith. Does that make sense? So what are you waiting on right now? What, what, we're all waiting on something. Isn't that true? Because we're all in the same position as Abraham. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. That first few generations would never see Canaan as home, even though God had promised to him. And we're in much the same position ourselves. I, I remember hearing a story about an old missionary couple spent 50 years out in the bush, came back home to America on a big liner, and uh, as they pull into port, there's a very famous politician on, the, on board, and uh, dock is crowded, there's a band, reporters, people cheering as, as he comes off. And, and then as this elderly couple walks down the gangplank, there's nobody there to meet them. And the husband's a little disappointed, and he says, you know, 50 years of serving the Lord, and uh, not one person is here to greet us when we get home. And his wife touches his arm. He says, honey, we're not home yet. And, and that's what we've got to remember, that in this, this life is brief. This, this is not our home. We're waiting for our eternal home. And as long as we're in this life, life will be disappointing. Even the best parts of life 
kind of let you down. Isn't that true? But our hope is not focused on this life. Our focus is on the return of Christ when he comes and makes all things new. And we live as people who believe that this world is not our home. We, we live as people waiting for Jesus to come and make all things new and all things right. That's what living by faith is. That's how Abraham lived by faith. And Isaac and Jacob, as we'll see in a couple of weeks. John writes, The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the gospel. Eternal life is not the result of going to church or being a good person or, or anything like that. Eternal life is a gift that God gives us, and he gives it to us in Jesus. And we can be confident that we're going to live forever and that we're going to a much better place uh, if you have Jesus in your life. Because when you receive Jesus, you receive eternal life. That's how it works. If, if you're not sure if Christ is in your life, I would invite you to make sure. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I, not might, I will come in to him or her and fellowship with them and give us eternal life. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each of us that's waiting for something, because we're all waiting for something. Give us the faith to not run ahead. To not be passive and hold back, but at the same time, not try to force your hand. Help us to be people of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.